Good morning, everyone. We're going to do something a little bit different today. We're going to get stuck into what we're doing and then we'll hear the Bible read in a couple of parts as we go along. So let me pray just to help us focus on what we're doing and then we're going to get into um, looking at, at this topic today. Father, be with us. Uh, focus our minds on you. Lord, help everything that we do in all of life be to your glory. And Lord, in this time and moment, uh, help us to see more of who you are and to love you more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there are two ways that you can magnify something. I've got these painful memories of microbiology practice at uni. And they were painful for a lot of reasons, but one of them was because in these pracs, you had to do this procedure called gram-staining bacteria to be able to tell what type of bacteria you were looking at. And so you would, um, you'd wash them with this gram-staining, and some would be gram-negative, whatever that means, and some would be gram-positive, and there'd be different colours. Some would be pink, and some would be violet. But if you're colourblind like me, then they basically came out exactly the same. But actually the main reason that I have painful memories of those microbiology pracs is because for three hours during those pracs, you'd be looking through these microscopes, squinting down, going cross-eyed and getting frustrated, trying to magnify these tiny dots that were so incredibly small. And the best magnification that you could achieve was still seeing them as tiny dots on a glass slide. That's one type of magnification. My uh, nephew, he got given a telescope for Christmas and when he visited Adelaide and visited us, he brought it with him. And one night he set it up on my front lawn and he invited me to have a look through it. Now, at first I wasn't keen, mostly because I was thinking of those microscopes in microbiology, but I decided I'd better hume him and have a go and I was instantly transfixed by this kind of magnification. I wasn't seeing tiny dots on a glass slide Suddenly the sheer enormity and magnificence of the moon was clearly on display before me like I'd never seen it before. I was seeing craters on the moon, on the surface of the moon. The moon was magnified right in front of my eyes. Not because I made it bigger than it really was. That wasn't the kind of magnification that was happening. But because I was experiencing just something of how big it really is in reality. These are the two types of magnification. You can magnify something because it's so small compared to you, or you can magnify something that's already huge, but magnifying it brings it home to you just how huge it really is. Today, as, as you've already heard, we're looking at this second kind of magnification. We're talking about magnifying God. Not because God needs us to make him look big, but because we desperately need to see just how magnificent he already is. And we're looking at this kind of magnification today because we're starting a new series outlining five things that, that God wants to see in the lives of each one of us and in the life of our church as a whole. God wants to see in us these five things, magnification, mission, membership, maturity, and ministry. We're going to see this over the next five weeks, and we're going to see it introduced a little bit at our AGM after church as well. 
But today, for now, we begin with magnification. And the kind of magnification that God wants to see in us is that we would see his greatness and then respond rightly. There's a, there's a thousand ways you could put this, but this is, this is one, one way of putting it. God wants us all to be growing in our love for Jesus, our devotion to him, living each and every part of our lives for him, overflowing in praise and thankfulness. And there are so many parts of the Bible that we could go to to see this, like what Jesus says in Mark 12, verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. But today, as Brian said, we're going to parachute into a different part of the Bible. We're going to be looking at a part of Revelation. And the reason we're doing that is because it shows us so powerfully why we should magnify our God. It shows us powerfully why he's worthy of our devotion and our love and our praise. Now, in a moment, Bethany's going to read the first part for us, and you can follow along on the screen if you like from Revelation chapter 4. But first, let me just set the scene a tiny bit. So it's the second half of the first century. The Apostle John writes this book, and he's quite old at this point. And he's imprisoned on an island, the island of Patmos. And he's imprisoned for refusing to magnify the name of Caesar. And instead, insisting on magnifying the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and God only. Christians all over the the Roman world are being persecuted and even killed for refusing to worship the Roman Emperor. And as John looks at his circumstances and the circumstances of the church in the world, don't you reckon it would have been extremely easy for him to think, where is God in all of this? God seems small in the world and the Roman emperors, they seem huge. Now, it seems to me that it'd be easy for us to do a similar kind of thing. To many people in our world, God seems small and unimportant. They think we're making a big deal out of nothing. Well, the book of Revelation is all about God letting us see that it's actually the opposite that's true. The whole book actually lifts our vision to see the true picture of who is great and magnificent in our world. And we're going to parachute in at Revelation chapter 4. Thanks, Bethany. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. 
Day and night they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and had their being. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. This is our first point today. God's purpose for our world is worship. But no one in all of creation is worthy to achieve his purpose. God's purpose is worship for this world, but there's no one in this world that's worthy to achieve his purpose. John here, he gets to see into the throne room of God. It might, it might appear that Nero or some other Roman emperor is in control. But there's a higher throne that stands behind all things. And in picture language, John tells us what he sees. At the center of everything is God on his throne. And what we see first of all in this picture is that God is worthy of worship because he is the author of creation. In this chapter, we see it in lots of different ways. First, in a ring around the throne are these four strange creatures. There's one like an ox, one like a lion, one like a man, one like an eagle. Now, these strange things, they represent the pinnacles of all God's creatures. And these representatives of all God's creatures, they never stop worshipping God. They never stop saying, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy means separate. It means different, distinct. And to say this three times, holy, 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 there's no greater way to say that God is completely above and over and radically distinct from his creation. There's just no greater way that you can say it. And look around the world, and a lot of it, even the greatest enemy of God, unceasingly and even unwillingly declares God's praises. Because simply by existing, they point to the one who gives them life. Because unlike him, none of us can exist in and of ourselves. All creation points to the one who is uncreated, the God who was and is and is to come. God is worshipped because he's the author of creation. And we see this outside the four creatures. There's an outer ring around the throne with 24 elders representing the people of God, the 12 uh, patriarchs of Israel and the 12 apostles. And like the four creatures, God's people worship him as the author of creation. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. God is worthy to be worshipped. 
All of, all of life is, is centered on him, whether we would realize it or not. And it has to be centered on him because there can be no life outside of him. Nothing can exist without his, him giving it existence. And whether we want to admit it or not, it's true that just by existing, we confirm that God is worthy to receive from us all praise, all glory, all power and honor. And yet, while he's worthy of our worship, and while our very existence declares that he's worthy of it, yet still none of us give him the worship that he deserves. And because of that, God's purpose for his creation can never be reached. Because we won't give him the worship that he clearly deserves, God's purpose for his creation can never be reached. This is what we see when when God holds up the scroll in chapter 5. The scroll, it represents the purpose of God that he has for his creation. It's covered in writing. It's his complete plans for where he wants to take this world. But the problem is when the angel cries out, who is worthy to break the seals and to open the scroll, in verse 3, there's silence. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And this isn't just an awkward moment in heaven. This is tragic. No human, no creature is found who can bring about God's purpose for his creation. For John, this isn't just an abstract problem. This is personal. He's suffering at the hands of the Romans. People he he loves are suffering. And he weeps and weeps to think that nothing is going to change in the whole world. But for us too, this isn't just an abstract problem. It's personal. Do you feel the the problems of this world? Do you feel the weight of relationship breakdown? The weight of sickness and suffering and death? We're made for so much more than this. But none of us are worthy to do anything about it. Because actually these are all just symptoms of a greater problem a problem we've all contributed to. We can't bring creation to its purpose because we've all played our part in wrecking God's purpose. We've all played our part in worshipping things other than the Creator. We've all downplayed the significance of this throne. We've even stood in defiance of it. And the effects of our defiance are the death and the suffering that we hate. A world desperately distant from its purpose because it's so distant from its God, the source of life. And it's at this low point that John sees something new. Bethany is now going to read Revelation 5, verse verse 5 and to the end for us. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, 
and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Jesus alone is worthy and he redeems our world to worship God as saviour. That's our second point. Jesus alone is worthy and he redeems our world to worship God as saviour. Now John, he's told not to weep because there's one who's triumphed, a lion, a mighty ruler, a conqueror. And we turn and look and we expect to see this conqueror who'll win the victory in battle. But John looks and what does he see? He sees a lamb looking like it's been slain right at the center of the action within the circle of the four creatures and at the center of the throne. John sees that the God who is completely outside and above his creation has stepped into his creation to fight for it. He comes as the Messiah to to fight to win his purpose for his creation But this Messiah fights in a completely unexpected manner. He fights for this world with his death. He overthrows death in the world by redeeming people from death, by taking their place. This is the way God fights. And at first it seems ridiculous. God could have sat in his ivory tower, separate, enthroned as the true ruler, But he's the God who refuses to let anything stop his purpose for his creation. And this is his purpose. To win for himself a people who will joyfully, freely, willingly praise him forever. That's his purpose. And don't you reckon when you turn to see the Lion of Judah and you see Jesus on the cross dying for you in your place, dying to purchase you for God, doesn't it make you want to worship? Doesn't it move your heart like nothing else can, that Jesus would die there for you? It certainly moves heaven to worship, as we saw. Because as the Lamb takes the scroll to bring about the purposes of God, suddenly in the throne room a new song is sung. That ancient rhythm that all creation has always been singing, creature calling, elder echoing, repeated forever, that song is transformed. Now God is worshipped not simply as the author of creation, but as the author of salvation. And the song is directed to the lamb who's at the centre of the throne. 
you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And then did you notice the way the circle expands and they're joined by a million angels? And then finally the circle expands again and they're joined by all creation in the praise of this lamb who was slain to purchase people for God. This is the destiny of our world. The lamb leads this world to worship. First, by taking our judgment so that we can actually take our place as worshippers. But second, he judges and removes those forever who refuse to join this worship. That's the eternal destiny of this world. And if we trust in Jesus, that's our our, our eternal destiny as well. We've been purchased for this very reason, magnification. And it's Jesus who will bring it about. But it's not just future. It's not just a future worship. And this is our third point. Our eternal destiny is worship, but so is our present calling. It's not like God purchased us us now to one day in the future be worshippers of him. It's our present calling now. We've been purchased now to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God, even though we won't reign till he returns. God has won our hearts to worship him now. And Jesus calls us to know him and to live for him. And it's a calling as individuals, but it's a calling as a church as well. But what does that mean for us? You know, what does magnification actually look like? Now, I, I said earlier on that it looks like seeing God's magnificence and responding rightly. But what exactly does that look like? It's, it's, it's pretty intangible, don't you reckon? It's, it's pretty hard to kind of get a concrete handle on what it looks like. So let me just start by telling you what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like an idea. And it doesn't look like a feeling. And it doesn't even look like an action. The kind of magnification that God wants us to be on about looks like having minds, hearts and actions united. In other words, Jesus is calling us to an all-of-life worship with all of ourselves. Head, heart and hands is another way of putting it. Our minds our emotions, our actions, head, heart, and hands. We've been purchased for God completely in our entirety. Now imagine if we were, we were just on about worshipping God with our hearts, with our emotions, but we didn't care about our actions. It wouldn't be real worship. I know someone who's, who's married to a guy who always promises the world. He, he says wonderful things all the time. And I think he really, he, he really feels that he means them. But his actions, they say something else. They say to this lady that his work is actually more important to him than his family. Now we can, we can do that with God. We can say we worship God, even feel like we worship him. But our actions can say something else. They can say that we actually live for work or sport, leisure for comfort or for family. But on the other hand, there's another huge danger for us too. 
I know someone else who's married to a guy who's, who's always responsible, always does the right thing by his family and his actions. In fact, his actions seem to say that he loves his family. But he never actually says it. And he never seems to go beyond duty to just enjoy his family. He doesn't seem to feel or speak love. He just seems to coldly show it. But love doesn't work that way. And yet, we can do that with God. We can render to him a cold, duty-bound service that's not at all what he longs for. He wants so much more, and, and that's not magnification. Both of these problems, it's a heart problem. God wants us to have hearts that want to worship. And when we have hearts that want to worship, all of our lives will fall into line, fall into his service, and we won't be bound by cold duty. We'll be moved in our heads and in our hearts and in our hands. We'll be moved to be thankful, to be overflowing with praise to our creator and our saviour. Now, over the next four weeks, we'll see that our worship overflows into every other area that God wants for us. You know, why do we care about mission? Well, it's because we want others to join in worshipping this God. Why do we care about membership? Why do we care about each other? How could we worship our God and not care about the people that he cares about? Why do we care about maturity, becoming more like Jesus? Well, it's because we want to become like the one that we worship. You always become like what you worship, whatever that is. Why do we care about ministry? Well, because we want to serve the God who served us. But wouldn't it be awful if we were really big on these bottom four things there? Mission, membership, maturity, ministry. But we did them out of cold duty. Wouldn't it be awful if we didn't do them out of love and devotion to Jesus? It would be tragic if we dropped the ball on magnification. And this brings us to our final point. Our calling is to all of life worship. But we are closest to our eternal destiny when we worship gathered together. Our calling is to all of life worship, but we're closest to our eternal destiny when we worship gathered together. What we do here when we gather like this is out of this world. Now, I dropped by midweek down here to this, this building, to the shed, to grab the, uh, the data projector and the screen. And it happened to be when karate was on. That was a different kind of gathering altogether to what we do. It looked like great fun. And it wasn't different just because they don't have to cart in a thousand chairs every Sunday. It wasn't just different because they get to wear cool robes. It was different entirely. What we do is different is because when we gather like this, we take our place right now around the throne of God. That doesn't happen in karate. We gather to hear God speak. We gather to hear the message about the lamb slain for us. We're reminded every week that through Jesus and through Jesus alone, God is achieving his purposes to bring this world to worship. And we're destined for it because we've been purchased for this very purpose by his blood. 
And what response can we possibly have to this message if not to join in all of heaven as we join it together in singing this new song? You are worthy because you've purchased people with your blood. But if when we get together, our hearts are not moved to magnify God, then we need to ask ourselves, what's going wrong with our hearts? Now, you've just got to read the first few chapters of Revelation about the seven churches that are there to see that there is plenty that can go wrong and that does go wrong. Which is why we need to be a church that keeps our calling clearly before our eyes at all times, that we are called to worship Jesus from our hearts always. But if we're not interested in magnifying God's name when we come together in God's name, then our lives are out of kilter with Jesus' purpose for them. A few years back, I, uh, I tried to relearn the trombone. Yes, it was a mistake, you're right. And I even started playing in a, a brass band. But this was the kind of band that had quite a few members that were more interested in playing handball after band than they were in the music that we were making. They weren't really interested in their very purpose for existing. Now, let me tell you, that is a painful band to be around. But if we're not interested in worshipping God when we're together, if we're not interested in our very purpose, magnification, something's wrong and we would be a painful people to be around. Thank God that's not us. We are a people who want to magnify Jesus. And we live in a fallen world and, and we're waiting for God to fully bring about his purpose through Jesus. We long for that day when we will worship God in spirit and truth, perfectly. But I don't know about you, but I'm not happy to wait till that day. Right now, God gives us his Holy Spirit. He speaks to us through his word and he moves our hearts to give up the worship of created things and instead to worship our Savior who's purchased us with his blood. There's no way that we're going to let this ball be dropped Later on at the AGM, I'm going to outline a couple of ways as a church that we're going to structure things so that we don't let this ball be dropped, so that we keep urging each other on to worship Jesus more and more till he returns. Now, you can see a diagram in your outlines. It's a bit hard to see up here. But that kind of explains how we're going to help this happen or how we're going to try to help this happen. And one of the key things that I'll say at the AGM is that Dave Harrington has taken on this responsibility of keeping magnification always on the agendas of our hearts. But Dave, he can't magnify God for us, not just because he sings blasphemous songs during the All-Ages spot. <laughs> Dave can't do it for us. We've all got the responsibility and the privilege before God to magnify his name. What Dave has taken on is the responsibility of making sure that we're re regularly reminded of that privilege. He's particularly responsible for helping our services to be a place where we authentically worship God together. He's working to help this to be a time that reminds us 
and moves us to want to worship Jesus with the whole of our lives. Now, our time together here is critical for this. It would be really easy for us to undervalue this church. We do undervalue this. We will keep undervaluing this, but we shouldn't. When we come together to worship Jesus, we are closest to our eternal destiny, as imperfect as this is. God is on about gathering a family of heartfelt worshippers, not just individuals. He's on about gathering a family of heartfelt worshippers. And even though all of life is worship, we can't be that gathering of worshippers on our own. We need each other. And when we gather, if our eyes are on Jesus and we're reminding each other of who he is and what he's done for us, we can't help but worship him. So I want to encourage you, let's value this. Even though it's imperfect till Jesus returns, let's make sure we don't devalue this. And valuing it can be expressed in a lot of ways. One way that it's expressed is just by turning up. And I think TNE is great like that. The vast majority of us are here the vast majority of the time. It's an enormous blessing, a way that we love each other. But valuing what we do when we gather is also expressed in other ways too. It's expressed by coming together with hearts that are genuinely prepared to worship. Now, I don't, I don't claim to be able to measure that even in myself to know exactly what my heart's doing. Only God can see that. But there are some ways that God moves us to be prepared to worship when we come together. Like pray on your way here. It's a great way to prepare yourself. Come expecting and eager to praise God. Have you noticed that as a church we have a tendency here to arrive at 10am, maybe 10.05am, 10.05am. Now, this is written here, by the way. Today actually was a bad example. No, a good example of this habit. And on, on the one hand, it's not a big deal. But on the other hand, think about what that subconsciously could be saying about what we think we're doing here. We have a tendency to treat the first two songs not as a time to praise God's name and not as a time to call each other to praise his name. We have a tendency here, if we're honest, to treat the first two songs like a time to find your seat. Now, is that a big deal? Well, I think if we see what we're doing here rightly, yes, it is, actually. If that's our settled pattern, that doesn't magnify Jesus and it doesn't call others to magnify Jesus. It's just one way that we can prepare ourselves. And we do need to prepare ourselves mentally, emotionally, spiritually, even physically by being present to remember what we're doing when we gather. Our job is to remind each other that it's Jesus who gathers us and he gathers us for a purpose, to be genuine worshippers for all eternity and now, in all of our lives. But if we're not moved to worship when we gather, what will move us to worship? 
we need to give our heads and our hearts and our hands to worshipping God in all of life, but especially when we're together. Let me tell you a secret about myself that I'm pretty sure I'm going to regret. I can't help but move to the rhythm of Gypsy Kings. Do you know Gypsy Kings? And the, the louder and the, and the clearer I, I hear them playing, the more I, I can't help but move. It's like my mind says, oh no, but my body says, oh yes, or CC. Now, I, I noticed this the other day when we had people around and we're having some Spanish food and it was playing that one of my kids has inherited the gene, the Gypsy King gene, because they were going nuts as well. We move to the rhythm of that heavenly worship of God that we've heard about in Revelation. It goes with us everywhere, in all of life. But when we come together, we need to hear it loud and clear here in our singing, in our praying, in our preaching, in our conversations. We want this to be a place where when we come together, we feel that rhythm. We hear that call to worship and we find ourselves unable to resist. We want to be a church that wants what God wants And we pray that by the Holy Spirit, Jesus will move us to urge each other on to all of life worship when we're apart, but especially when we're together. We're made for magnification and we're saved for magnification. Let's pray. Lord, our calling and our purpose is to worship you. And yet, just a quick examination of our our heads and our hearts and our actions, Lord, reveal to us that we don't live out your purpose fully. Father, we thank you so much that it is Jesus who brings about this work in us, not ourselves. And Lord, while we wait for him to return and to complete his work in our lives, Lord, we ask that you would give us hearts that are not patient to wait till then to start to worship you. Lord, Help us now to live for your glory in all of life, but especially when we come together. Lord, hear. Help us to hear the call to worship your magnificent name and to give all of our lives to your magnification. And we pray this because of Jesus, our Lord and Saviour. Amen.